0: You're listening to the Investing.com's Weekly Crypto Podcast with your host, Clement Thibault. Hello, everyone, and welcome to talk Investing.com's Weekly Crypto Podcast this Sunday, December 2nd. It's already December. Who would have believed this year of 2018 is almost coming to an end? Uh, I'll start like every week, just telling you that this podcast is for you if you're interested in the crypto markets, but don't necessarily want to spend you know, your days following it and, you know, keeping up to date every single day on what's going on. And if you're looking for a quick 20-minute show to kind of recap the week and explain what's happening and give some analysis on it as well, then you're in the right place. And with that, let's move to the topics of this week. All right, so all in all, a pretty eventful week in uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. This week was Consensus Invest, uh, hosted by Coindesk. And the SEC's chairman, uh, Clayton, talked about, you know, about Bitcoin, about cryptocurrencies in general, about ETFs. And uh, we're going to be talking and analyzing that just a little bit. We're also going to be talking about business that are built on blockchain. There's been uh, a few news reports coming out in the past week regarding a few companies having struggles and having to downsize. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and, you know, the future of, you know, blockchain companies and the future of the space in general. And the third thing that we're going to be talking about today is the U.S. blacklist and a couple of Iranians' Bitcoin addresses for their involvement in the Samsung ransomware. So we're going to be talking about that and what that means also going forward because, you know, that Bitcoin is supposed to be a money that is very hard to censor, borderline impossible. So it's interesting to see that the U.S. is still trying to control an asset that is supposed to be uncontrollable. So it will be very interesting to see what happens with that going forward. And so let's start with the SEC's chairman's comments this week uh, in consensus. So Jay Clayton, the chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, was on Coindesk's stage this, this Tuesday speaking about everything cryptocurrencies, And it was very interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about what he said on Bitcoin. Uh, We're going to talk about what he said on a potential Bitcoin ETF, because that's also interesting. And of course, how can we not talk about what he said about ICOs and how he sees things? So we'll start on Bitcoin, which is just, you know, he he basically said things that they have said before about how Bitcoin is not a security, how it's more of a currency. And he said, you know, one sentence that resonated with me, and he said that, Bitcoin is designed to be akin to the dollar, the euro, the yen, and it operates that way. People who purchase it are expecting it to operate that way. And I think that, you know, this falls into a broader theme with the SEC. They are examining not what things are claiming to be, but when things really are. So if they see that something is really being used as a utility token, and, you know, I'm kind of talking ahead a little bit because we're getting to ICOs in just a minute. But they're saying that they are going to look at how things work and how people are using those things to make, you know, their definitions of what's security, you know, what's a currency and what is something else. So that was very interesting to hear again about Bitcoin. You know, you never know, you know, a lot of times the regulatory landscape changes really fast and it's hard to keep track. But seeing a consistent stance on Bitcoin, you know, is very is very bullish for Bitcoin's potential and the fact that, you know, it, it won't suddenly change rules or anything like that so that's good on the potential bitcoin etf honestly he's been saying what uh, many of us have been saying for quite a while now he doesn't see a pathway to cryptocurrency etf approval anytime soon they're still very concerned at the sec about market manipulation and he said that he doesn't really know exactly what's the way to handle market manipulation but that as long as it's there you know they won't they won't approve a bitcoin etf and you know he came back to that to that narrative of really protecting the US investor and he said that you know the information that the US investor sees you know the retail investor when he looks at the price you know he needs to be he needs to be able to say that this is the real price of the asset and not something that someone wants to make him believe is the price of the asset so you know that's that's very bearish for a bitcoin ETF but if you've been following this podcast or my twitter uh, you you know that you know bitcoin ETF is not slated to happen and i'll be even surprised to see one in 2019 so i'll say that and as long as you know most of the market is controlled by chinese entities you know unregulated chinese entities or entities not necessarily based in the us I'm having a really hard time to seeing the us just agreeing to creating an ETF on an underlying instrument that they're just not confident in on a more positive note it did say that what he wants is markets free of manipulation not necessarily free of volatility so as long as, you know, the volatility in itself, the fact that Bitcoin is highly volatile is not what is stopping the SEC from creating the CTF. As soon as they'll be convinced that the volatility is, in fact, natural and not manufactured, then, you know, they, will, they won't be a problem approving a Bitcoin ETF. Again, not, not will not happen anytime soon, but it's good to know that, you know, they, it's not because of the volatility. And they're just really trying to see that the underlying asset is not being manipulated, what they can't do right now and won't be able to do for the foreseeable future. Regarding ICOs, uh, so the SEC's chairman, Jake Linton, said that if you, if you finance a venture with a token offering, you should start with the assumption that it is a security. He also said that many token offerings were obviously securities, so I'm expecting a few more hammers to drop from the SEC in the coming months. Uh, he did say that, you know, if you are telling two different things to the SEC and to your investors, that's not a good place to start. And if you are lying to the SEC, they will find you and they will prosecute you. Uh, He didn't want to talk too much about XRP. And of course, he's going to be asked about it because, you know, it's the second biggest cryptocurrency these days by market cap. But he didn't want to say anything about XRP. And I think that the SEC, you know, has this kind of rule where whenever they're investigating something or looking at something, they're keeping it under tight wraps and they don't want to give anything away, especially not on a crypto public stage. So that made sense to me that he didn't want to get into that. Uh, He did say that you know the SEC is looking forward to talking to ICOs and to seeing how they can work with ICOs, and and you know he he summed it up perfectly and he told everyone to just get their act together, and if you want to do well, and if you you know everyone means well means well, but if you want to do things by the rules and and let the U.S. also protect its investors like the SEC is supposed to do, then come talk to the SEC and uh, figure something out. It was a very good discussion. I think it was very open. Uh, I think it was. I think it was a good thing that, you know, the SEC's chairman actually came to a crypto conference and and talked about, you know, the regulations and the hurdles, you know, for crypto, for mainstream adoption, for how the SEC sees it. I think it's very positive and that we should keep this dialogue going with the SEC, because at the end of the day, like it or not, the SEC still wields a lot of power in the U.S. market. And if they call something out, then this thing, whatever business it is, is very likely to, you know, to need to pay fines and stuff. It's important that the communication lines stay open, and I think that you know it was it was very good to see the SEC's chairman on a crypto conference and on a crypto stage talking about these kind of things. All right, so uh, moving on to the bear market effect on crypto companies, we're going to be talking about little companies that have encountered some trouble with the recent uh, crypto dip. So let's get to it. <laughs> So we've had some bad news of downsizing this week in the crypto world. Uh, I'll start with uh, Steemit. So Steemit is a social media platform. And the idea is that you know you use cryptocurrencies to pay content creators and content curators. And so it creates a whole ecosystem of people getting rewarded with you know the Steam cryptocurrency for creating and curating content. So it announced that it had to lay off close to 70% of its staff because of the prolonged bear market for cryptocurrencies so you know they they've been building the team and they've been relying on higher crypto prices and you know their treasury management was mostly in crypto and that created you know a situation where you know their projections of the lowest crypto price was not low enough and now they don't have enough money to pay for all the people so they have to lay off more than 70 percent of their workforce now Treasury management is a very, very tricky thing. And I think that a lot of ICOs, you know, and I think we'll see it more in the coming months as more and more ICOs have trouble. I think that that's the one thing that you really need professional help with and and risk management and treasury management. is one of the hardest things to do when you create a business, knowing how much money gets in, how much money gets out. And in cryptocurrencies, when you're building, you know, a cryptocurrency business that your underlying treasury is so volatile and you and can move up and down. And I think that Steemit is one of those companies where its token is down, I think like 96%. So of course, if your token is down 96%, you're going to have a tough time paying the bills. And that's if that's all that you have. So you have to diversify into, you know, fiat currency, because that's how you pay the bills. And I think that a lot of ideological ICOs that won't necessarily want to survive on dollars and will want to, to show that you can create something based on their own currency. I think that we'll see many of those fail because at the end of the day you still need to pay people and as long as you can't pay with your native cryptocurrency, you know, at the supermarket or you can't pay your rent with it, then those people that you need to pay your rent to, you know, if you, or your mortgage if you're if you owe it to a bank, you know, you, they're going to need money in dollars and not in your cryptocurrency. So that's something that is interesting. I mean, it's it's I'm very sorry to see it happen obviously. And, but I think that treasury management system problems is, is something that we'll see a lot of going forward. Uh, we also have SpankChain, which is an adult entertainment platform built on the blockchain. Uh, they also had to downsize their team. Uh, there were 20 people at the biggest, and they've had to now downsize from 12 to 8. So that's all that stayed. And they're claiming to have now reduced their monthly burn to, to $80,000 instead of $200,000 which was what they burned through each month so far. Again, you know, they, they, they announced their treasury, so they have $3 million left, and they're supposed to be able to be holding on another couple of years. Uh, another couple of years, I mean two, three years, you definitely need to know that you have that to operate your business and to grow it properly, even at crypto zero. And I think that the smartest thing to do, if you really want to concentrate on the building is that you keep some of that money in fiat money so you can pay everyone. You can focus on developing your product. I think that's pensioning did that to a certain extent, and this is what is allowing it today to be able to say, okay, we have two years of runway when we can build, and then we'll have to worry about raising more money or actually turning profitable. So I think, you know, going forward, that's a good thing. And when there's too much money, when there's excess money, there's also inefficiencies. And I think that the bear market really brings out those inefficiencies and are you know forcing people to be, become more efficient with the funds that they have. It's not unlimited funds anymore and you need to survive a few years. So that's it. And we've also had uh, Gigawatt, which was a US-based uh, mining company and they declared bankruptcy with, and they owe millions to people. So basically they did that on Monday And they owe uh, over $7 million uh, to their creditors, including, I think, hundreds of thousands to electricity companies, because, of course, they were a mining company. Uh, So, of course, that comes because Bitcoin prices are down. And again, I was talking just a minute ago about the the inefficiencies in the market. And the fact that Bitcoin prices are dropping means that the break-even point is lower for miners. And that only means that only the, the strongest miner is the one that can either mine in a loss for a certain period of time until Bitcoin prices stabilizes or are able to really mine in a very, very low cost. So we're talking about countries, you know, that have subsidies on electricity and, and, and things like that. But in the U.S., that's not the case. And the liabilities are supposed to be somewhere between 10 and 50 million, which is a lot of money. And I'm sure that we haven't seen the end of that story yet. And uh, just another bite of information from Trust Nodes that says that ICOs have sold more than 2, 200,000 ether Sorry, in the past thirty days, with more than half of it. I mean,s one hundred and nineteen thousand ethers sold in the past seven days. So, like I've like I said, I think that you know businesses that want to continue living in a in a big bear market need to have their money in a currency that they can pay the people properly and i think that many icos are kind of realizing that right now that hey if this bear market thing continues and bitcoin you know drops and ether drops lower we won't be able to pay our bills and we'll have to close shop so let's sell what we can today to guarantee that we have at least another year or two you know where we can operate without thinking and obsessing about every last dollar So, again, I think that's a good step going forward for the ecosystem as much as, you know, it brings prices down because it creates selling pressure. Going forward, if you want to build businesses, stable businesses, you need to be able to to make sure that you have the funds necessary to run that particular business. All right. So that's it for the bad news that may over time, you know, reveal themselves as blessings in disguise once we see that the market is turning more efficient with its use of money. And we move on to our last subject of the day where we're going to be talking about the U.S. blacklist and a couple of Bitcoin addresses. So our third topic today is actually very interesting to me. Uh, on Wednesday, the U.S. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control announced that they were adding two Bitcoin addresses to its specially designated national sanction list, uh, which is the big scary list that the U.S. maintains, That if someone happens to be on that list, you can't do any business with him without invoking the wrath of the U.S. And interestingly, according to Coindesk, uh, Iranians have been blocked in general by Shapeshift. And Iranian customers have troubles right now accessing the exchange, even with a VPN. So that's something also interesting. There's always unforeseen consequences in crypto because it's such a young industry. We never know what's going to happen and how. So seeing all Iranians blocked from an exchange because the U.S. added a couple of, you know, Iranian addresses to its sanction list is very interesting. So if you haven't been following the story, so uh, a couple of years ago, I think, there was this SamSam ransomware. And what happened is that uh, malware would be taking over the computers of corporations, hospitals, and what they needed back is Bitcoin, right? So they said, okay, send Bitcoin to this address and we're literally blackmailed by their, you know, information systems and that you couldn't get access to it and everything would be wiped unless you paid a certain ransom in Bitcoin. So the U.S. managed to track those two individuals. They managed to track the Bitcoin address that they were using to do it. And they basically said that whoever does business with these two addresses is against the law in the U.S., which is a very, very harsh sanction. Apparently, they turned something like seven, six to 7,000 Bitcoins to Iranian rial which is millions worth of U.S. dollars. Now, the interesting question is really what happens with Bitcoin right now because you know that Bitcoin was designed in a certain way that governments would not be able to control it and they're not centrally issued. And so the government really has limited power over the network itself. But, you know, now we'll get to see really what happens when the government has some authority over the people, that are doing the action, so it doesn't necessarily have action over the technology, and it's not like Swift, or you know, with Swift, which is what banks use today to transfer money, you know, th- uh, across distances. What happens is that if the U.S. blacklists someone, it just th- loses access to that Swift system, and the U.S. can ban people from there, but the U.S. can't really ban people from Bitcoin. They can't really take control of these addresses or of whatever Bitcoins are in them. So they kind of depend on the community you know, willingly, willingly doing the dirty work of barring those accounts and not transacting with them. Now, another interesting thing is that exchanges actually already do bar certain addresses for trading on their platform because they know that they don't want any, you know, scammy coins or any, any stolen goods on their property because, you know, then they'll probably be liable for the exchange of those certain dirty coins that were stolen from somewhere. So the exchanges can make it really, really hard for people to be able to, you know, get rid of those coins, of those dirty coins. The thing is that at the end of the day, you can't really force anyone not to accept those coins. So what the U.S. right now did is that, you know, if you trade with one of those addresses and you receive Bitcoin from one of those addresses and the U.S. government you know, is able to trace your identity to your address and prove that you have done business with those two accounts, with those two addresses, then you would get caught and probably prosecuted in the US for violating the sanction. But it's not something that is that easy to do. And what happens a lot of times is that Bitcoin finds its way to an exchange, it's converted to Monero, and from there it's very, very hard to track, if not borderline impossible to track. So right now, the U.S., you know, that's all it can do. It can just hope that no one does business with those addresses. And in case someone does, they can always try to figure out the identity of the person behind the address, just like they did with those Iranian people. They figured out a couple of names, which I'm not even going to try to say right now. You know, they now know that those are the people controlling this address. And if you do business, it's like you do business with that person. So they can probably do the same to whoever will receive the coins from that particular address. Unless, of course, this person, you know, takes extraordinary measures of security and really distances himself, like his personal self, from the address. And really, I brought it up today because I think that when when we're talking about Bitcoin and why Bitcoin was created, you know, this is kind of what it was created for to create some kind of money that will not be controllable by governments and i think that this is a very very interesting stress test and and test case of how will bitcoin react and how the community and how people you know that are using bitcoin will react to that order from the us government because this is kind of what the whole project is about you know being sovereign over your own money and not getting not letting anyone you know control and tell you what to do with your own money now of course I'm not putting into question the morality of what those people did. Obviously, those are stolen funds and you should not, you know, from a moral point of view, you should not, you know, engage in business with thieves. Right. So that but that being said, you know, the fact that you should not do it and it's not a moral thing to do. Bitcoin was created to let you take that decision for yourself and not having someone telling you what you should do. So uh, this is something that is definitely worth following and knowing exactly what the addresses are and I'm sure that we'll hear a little bit more about it as the week goes and as we can you know we can trace the on-chain transactions. So basically if coins move from that address we'll be able to tell because you know bitcoin is a public blockchain and we have block explorers and that kind of things. So we'll definitely be able to know what's going on with it and again we'll see in the coming weeks if there is any movement from these addresses to other addresses and how the US handles it. Because I really think that this is something that, you know, it's really a pain point from the U.S. If, if now those two Iranians are able to prove that, you know, Bitcoin is a way to to bypass, you know, the, the power, the financial power of the U.S. over SWIFT and other world systems. I really I mean, I really think that this could send shockwaves throughout, you know, throughout the world and throughout how the U.S. does business and, and regulates Bitcoin. That's why I wanted to bring it up today. All right. So I think we're uh, getting to the end of this podcast for this week. Uh, happy December, y'all! It's uh, the holiday season is upon us after Thanksgiving, and we have Christmas soon, and then New Year's, and it's great. And again, I'm all I'm saying this every week. If you want to reach out to me for feedback, please do on Twitter at Clem Thiebaud, That's C L E M T H I B A U L T. I'm open to your feedback. I always post before I record, you know, a podcast to for you to let me know what you want to hear and what you want me to touch, and that's what I'll do. You know, whatever you guys want me to talk about, and if you have a certain topic in mind that you want me to talk about. Please, you know, let me know and I will do it. All right. So that being said, have a great weekend. Uh, have a great week. Sorry. And uh, I'll see you next week on Crypto, Investing.com's crypto podcast. I'm Clement Thibault signing off.